iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Please give a big warm welcome then for one of the most knowledgeable men in football, the host of the game podcast, Gab Marcotti. Thank you all for, uh, uh, for having me here. When he did say one of the most knowledgeable men in football, I, I immediately started looking around for, for Guillaume Balaguet. But um, you'll have to make do with me tonight. And I'm glad nobody laughed too much at that joke because it makes me feel better. <laughs> but uh, let me introduce the rest of the gang who's uh, going to be coming up here tonight. Um, first of all, uh, a man who's been in the business a very long time and bears a striking resemblance to Captain Jean-Luc Picard. And that would be Patty Barkley. Next up, uh, representing not only a much put-upon uh, minority uh, in this sport, uh, qualified referees, uh, also one of the better feature writers out there, uh, it's Alison Rudd. Next up, uh, a fine award-winning uh, uh, writer uh, with, his, uh, with his biography uh, and also uh, uh, a very talented, I think, ex-pro turned writer, which is a, a very tricky job to do, as you can probably tell. Uh, we have uh, former Republic of Ireland International, yes, Republic of Ireland, Tony Cascarino. And finally, I had to introduce him last. Please give him the biggest round of applause of all because, well, he's our boss, Tony Evans. Okay, there was one more joke I was supposed to do in my warm-up, which uh, our producer Chris Skinner had put in there which was to point out that there are more people here than at your average Carling Cup tie. Uh, but of course, we had the sponsor on the phone, so uh, I won't be <laughs> making that crack tonight. So, you might be familiar with, uh, with our format here uh, on, on the game podcast, if you're regular listeners. Uh, we're gonna do things slightly differently tonight because you're all with us. Uh, we're gonna have uh, sort of two main debates, and in between, we're, we're gonna have uh, our own version of, uh, of Quick Hits, and that's gonna be followed by, by a Q&A. Uh, there will be a microphone going around, uh, and you can basically direct any kind of question at us that, that you like. Um, 
but well, except for some personal questions or some which might lead to issues of libel. Um, but the, what we're going to kick off with is the fact that in February, it will have been 20 years of the Premier League. Uh, February 1992 is when they were all formed, um, although Scudamore only came al along in 1999. I, I think we would all agree that it has changed the game tremendously. And what I want to throw out there is, on balance, has the Premier League been good for football in this, uh, in this country? Or has it been bad for football? And uh, I'm going to start out with Patty. I think overall it's been good um, because, I mean, there have been lots and lots of bad things. Um, but what I think has been good, what, what, what really matters is the quality of the football on the field and what's changed in those 20 years um, and this might have changed without the, the Premier League, perhaps, but what has, has changed in, uh, is that we see a, a sort of mini World Cup every weekend. It's an international game uh, full of attractive international influences um, and not as rough uh, as, the game, uh, as the game was 20 years ago. So, I mean, you, you, off the field, it's been a nightmare in many ways. It's been a the amount of money that has been wasted that could have been ploughed back into the game and has just been thrown out by what Sir Alan Sugar called prune juice economics is an almost verges on a national scandal. I think it's Lord Sugar now, by the but, way. Yes. He's also quite litigious. He, I think it was Sir Alan Sugar when he came up, when somebody wrote that phrase for him. But um, uh, on the field, it is, it is so much better. And uh, uh, so the answer, I would say, would be... Um, uh, not exactly a resounding, but a yes. Before you get to Alison, Paddy, I know you've been to uh, a football before the Premier League. I'm just looking out at you guys yeah. here. How many people have been to a top-flight football match in this country pre-1992? What do you reckon, maybe 25%? About 25, 30%, yeah. yeah. I mean, because I think we, we have to ask, we have to put this into context that there's a whole generation that's growing up that this is all they know. This is, they sort of take it for granted, these, uh, the, these stadia, this number of foreigners, this, the type of coverage that we give the Premier League. Yeah, well, I, it was formed, the Premier League was formed really to get more money out of TV rights. And that has been the, the, the real change. It's the money and the TV coverage. In 1989, there were 26 live matches on ITV. There were nine and a half on BBC, and the nine and a half is the clue to how rubbish um, coverage was of football. Neighbours stopped one of the matches because we'll, we'll show the second half, but the first half, you know, neighbours. Uh, that's that's what you had if you're a football fan. That's what you had to look forward to. And then they did the deal, and this year, 2011, there will be over 500 live matches on Sky alone. Not to mention the matches you'll get on other terrestrial. I mean, and. I can't see a downside to that. To me, that's just amazing. It's just, if you don't want to watch football, don't watch it. That's fine. But it's there if you want to watch it. And I think the coverage gets better every year. There was a time, um, about, about 1991, I think it was, someone at Sky had the bright idea of having the score and what time it was in, in the match put on the screen. And initially, everyone went, oh, that's weird. We can't cope with that. Can you imagine it not happening now? Mm. You know, it's just what what we are given is amazing. In in a short, I mean, it's 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 better than you know, going to the moon. Changes like that. The difference in what we can see, what we have access to now, and pre, compared to pre Premier League days, um, it's all it's all fabulous. 
It's interesting you bring that up because I'm actually not a fan of Sky's coverage at all. And so far, I think we've gotten to fairly ringing with some caveats, endorsements of the of the Premier League. Uh, Cass, you've played before the Premier League and you played uh, in the Premier League as well. Um, um, is it any different as a, as a player, as a fan? Um, well, the teams that were being... You had Leeds United, Wimbledon's. I mean, I played at Stamford Bridge. There was 6,800 fans on a Tuesday night to play Southampton in an old Division 1 game. (laughs) (laughs) Tone has been said a few times. Um, (laughs) And I think what's happened, television certainly has, not to say saved, probably the wrong word, but it it has taken football to where we are now and it needed TV and it needed all the revenue. I think the quality of player is far better. I think the players have evolved, not only physically, I think they're far quicker. Well, say quicker, just an edge. An edge is a big thing in sport where if you're a, a boxer and you've just slightly got something over somebody else, football has moved in, in the, that respect. And I feel that the game technically is superb. You don't really get hatchet men. They've been eradicated. The, the game has evolved. And I think even managers like Fergie, they buy players now that they would not even considered when he first took the job at Manchester but United. Was that down to the Premier League? or was that? Well, happened? I think he's looked at the rules and the laws of football and realised that he has to go away from certain type of players who... I don't think I would have had any chance of playing the Premier League in, as it's played today because I was a big centre forward, technically okay. I was, you know, throw things in the box, I'd attack. But I had a job in the Premier League when I was 27, 28. John Hartson's of this world. And the players, and I well, think Grant Holt has a job in the Premier League. I mean, well, uh, I think I mean, he's, a, he's a bit more. paid 35 million for you in January. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think that the game has moved on. But I do think there's aspects of football that really bother me. I think cheating, one thing that yeah, I'm really... Sorry, you can't... I'm sorry, I jump in here and obviously I've been accused of being a bully. I will bully you now. I, what does cheating have to do with the Premier League? Because I think television... No, Gab, it has changed because with television and with refereeing and they're all under the microscope and what's happened, that players have developed cheating to a level that I've just never imagined 20, 30 years ago and they're getting applauded. You're getting players getting penalties and they're patting each other on the back. The etiquette of football has gone completely to where it was. There was a time, Gab, that you were sort of, it was sort of frowned upon where if you did certain things, even your own group would not be pleased but, about the way you carried on. And that is completely different. The game now, people are patting each other on the back. Yeah, but, I mean, before, we're talking in a way a lot about modern football and, and a lot yeah. of things that happened in the Premier League that have happened in the Premier League era are not the responsibility of the Premier League. And I'm thinking of two in particular. One was Hillsborough. Great tragedy though it was. It, it, it provided the impetus, the political impetus for the rebuilding of the grounds into the wonderful grounds that we, relatively wonderful grounds that we see in the, not, not just the Premier League now, but the Championship because they build lovely grounds because they've either been in the Premier League or want to get there. Um, and the law changes that followed the 1990 World Cup have been profoundly helpful uh, in making it less attractive to play long ball football and so on. So a lot of the things that have been good during the Premier League era have been nothing to do with the, um, the Premier League powers that be. Tony? Well, I mean, I think for, for me the biggest change is, and Alison had the nail on the head there, it's been television. And what Premier, the Premier League did was change the way we 
view football. Most people now watch it through the prism of television. You know, before that in the eighties, and you, know, you had to go with the match, you know, to to understand it. So most people watch the small square, and everyone's become an expert on players across the world. Yet they're only seeing a very very small percentage of what's going on in the match. They're seeing nothing off the ball. They're seeing nothing off camera. So we've got loads of experts who, frankly, fundamentally don't understand football because they don't see enough of it live. And so that I find irritating. But, you know, what are you going to do with uh, that? So on, on that point, is it, is it that this is how the majority of people see it, but would you agree that the aggregate number of people watching football has increased? I mean, it has increased. Before 1992. The, the number who understand it, the less. Well, it's interesting because it's interesting you make that point because this is something that, you know, primarily people will always come up with. But pre-1992, the average attendance in the top flight in England was around 21,000. Mm. Last year was 35,000. So you can see in the Premier League, there's obviously been a huge jump. What's interesting is if you go down the divisions, in, in Tier 2, it's actually gone up 65% in 20 mm. years. In Tier 3, uh, you know, the old Division 3, mm. it's, uh, it's gone up something like 34%. And even in Tier 4, it's gone up uh, 23%. Mm. So, What's it in Scottish football, Gavin? I haven't <laughs> researched that. But, um, but it strikes me that, you know, you know the, whether it's football becoming very popular and becoming very mainstream in, in this country, because I always thought it was kind of weird you invented the game and it was never as mainstream in this country as it is in other European mm. countries. But um, you could argue, is it the Premier League tide which has lifted the boats of the lower divisions as well? Or is it just the... Uh, well, yeah, but your, your stats there, are they... I mean, because crowds, I feel, like Division League 2 and League 1 this season, they seem to be lower than definitely last season. And there seems to be a... A big difference. I'm using last year's stats. Uh, yeah, but is it a trend? Was it based on everybody had more money, seemingly in years gone by? You know, the last decade, it's been prosperity for most people. And now we're seeing that money's coming, normal, normal people who have money in their pocket, they've got a spare few pounds, they go to a game. But is, is that going to be the case? Is it based around... Well, well, that's the other thing that bothers me. Because the one thing television's done is cut the umbilical cord between the local fan and the local team. And the thing is, you can watch Manchester United almost every week. You can watch Liverpool every mm. week. And the thing yeah. is, people support, claim they support. I mean, you get these ridiculous figures. You know, Manchester United have got, what, 700 billion fans on Mars, they tell us. <laughs> but the reality is, what, what we've done, what, it, it's almost... If up for one's a better phrase, popified the game. You know, it's like sort of, you know, you I'm gonna show my age here. I've got the base that he rollers one week and you move on to your next one. It's taken it seems to me a, a large amount of what the game grades was loyalty and as I say, that connection which was formed by going the match. And I don't see that being formed. And what makes me wonder is whether the greed is good league, as Brian Glanville once called it, has built into itself the seeds of its own destruction long term. But, of course, you know, it's a, a, I am a joiner on subjects like this. So, Tony, are you saying you, you like, don't like the internet because it means libraries are redundant? I mean, this is progress. Well, some, uh, some, th th some, some things will suffer for it's amazing not, progress. As, well, as long as you still keep the libraries, it's brilliant. Mm. I mean, it depends what the progress does. What made the game where it is, as I say, is this sense of these clubs as, as cultural sort of flag bearers. And I think... We're losing that more and more. And I think that, that's part of what the Premier League has done and what they'd like to do. I mean, they'd like to take the game. They'd like to take the 39th game and they'd like to play it in, in Doha, where it was early this year. Mm. And does anyone think that's good? I don't think that's good. But, 
Of course, the men, the men counting the cash think it's good. I mean, I don't know. Everybody in the audience here and us, I've seen in the last, certainly this season, and probably last, I've seen so many incredible games. I've seen so many fantastic football matches where the entertainment level has been incredible. Mm-hmm. Goals and, you know, just controversy around football as it's been its highest. And I've loved this season seeing so many games, whether it was Arsenal getting beat at Man United 8-2, then seeing Man City go to Tottenham and win 5-1 with the performances. I've seen incredible football matches and I've seen a lot more than years gone by, especially mm. this season. And it's better to see the whole match, even if it's on a box and not you're not in the yeah. stadium. It's better to see the whole match than see the highlights of that match. I don't so, think there's any yeah, question about that. Well, I, would, I, mean, I go further. I mean, when I look at this, I kind of take this as a given. I completely agree with Tony about the, the link to the local clubs. The Premier League would come out and say that attendances are way up outside the biggest clubs as well. I mean, if you look sort of club by club, if you look at how many people they were drawing 20 years ago versus today, you will find that just about every club is way up in terms of, in terms of attendance, and so the local bond is actually stronger. I buy that to a point. But I think what's, um, I think what's interesting, what's worth noting, and, and I want to expand this out to some of the things the Premier League could be doing better, to me, you know, you mentioned it's on the box and all you get is highlights. Well, there's five million Sky Sports subscribers in, in this country. There has never been a single minute of Premier League football on free-to-air television. Now, if you believe in the free market, you might believe that this will fix itself and that the Premier League is actually hurting itself because it's driving people to dubious decoders or driving people to, uh, to illegal streams or simply driving people where, to a point where the only way they experience football is via you know, highlights on Match of the Day and that's it. I'm wondering, is there something the Premier League could be doing better? Is it kind of insane to have everything on subscription television? Uh, but this isn't, this isn't, this isn't uh, um, like rice or, or a commodity that is essential. If you, love, if, you, if you love football and you look at how much it costs to have it in your home, it's not... It's not very much to feed the passion. And mm. if you're really that stuck, you go down to your local pub and more you make watch I, it. I spend more on Sky Television than I, would if I, uh, than I would spend if I were a season ticket holder at Manchester United. I spend more for my season ticket to watch football on telly. You've got a really rubbish deal and I'd phone version <laughs> when you get home. I get, I get Sky Sports, one, two, three, four, five, six, HD, everything and a film package and everything. And, and if I didn't have the sport, I'd, I'd be five or six quid better off a week. I mean, it's really not a lot to us. I, I think I a lot think. of people, actually, I beg to differ. I mean, you're looking at a, at a mm. commitment of 50 pounds plus For a everything, year. for everything. But that's fine. But I mean, that's, I that's a lot a of money to a lot of people. I'm, I'm pleased people to live in an age where I can buy that. See, I think this is a classic. I've got the adult channels. Yeah, we're, kind of, <laughs> we're kind of going at the people in other European companies, countries where the standard of living is as high or higher here, get a lot more for what they pay. You, yeah. This is all you yeah. get. So, you know, you're like the people standing in the bread line in Soviet Russia and like, oh, look, they have bread today. And so you're happy. <laughs> well, thank you. Let me, let me pay 50 quid. But, but we are going out there a little. Um, we all agree the quality of the football is better, Tony, um, or there's more players. No? Is the, is the quality of the football that much better? You know, I watched the other week, I watched the, uh, the Newcastle Tottenham game, and it was great entertainment. It was real, you know, it was exciting, it was fun, and there wasn't a shred of actual football taking plays in it. In the Premier League, what's characterised the Premier League is, you know, hit the ball long, you know, compete for the first ball, win the second ball, and there's too much of that going on. You know, I mean, the Premier League today in 2011. 
That, that's Are you Premier talking League. about the first division in 1990? No, no, I'm talking about the Premier League. 20 years ago. Yeah. No, I'm not, you're watching different games than me then because I don't see that much passing going on over this league. And, you know, and that's why Barcelona have been such a great re- re- revelation. Yeah. What we've seen, we've seen players... Wenger created a team, Arsene Wenger created an Arsenal team, who did everything faster than everyone else. They played beautiful football, they played the best football, uh, probably, uh, you you could argue, in the history of the game in this country. Mm -hmm. And everyone else tried to compete with it by getting athletes, physical players, who who, who were quick, who were fast, who closed people down, the Boltons of this world. But you know what? They didn't do the good stuff. They didn't pass the ball, they didn't move the ball. And when Wenger ran out of ideas and didn't come up with a plan B. What The last five years has been a triumph of the strong and, and the powerful mm. over the skilled. I mean, United in spells have been skilled, Chelsea in spells have been skilled, but it hasn't been great football. I, I mean, I, I, this myth of the Premier League being great football, don't buy it. What we've seen is exciting football. We've seen loads of instances. I don't see much great football. Yeah, that's, uh, you talk about the excitement, I, and I, I do wonder somehow if there isn't, a lot of the time, if there isn't too much, uh, I think you seem you too see, much excitement. No, no. <laughs> what I, I mean, what I mean, when you get to my age, there is such a thing. It's too much excitement. But uh, no, the uh, too much of the wrong kind of excitement. You know, physical excess, players squaring up, and so on. And I don't think there's enough discipline in the league. I think it puts a gives a a bad example to children watching. And I know this sounds like a terribly starchy thing to say, but what's the point? A football existing if it doesn't have, you know, a certain moral uh, responsibility. Um, and I, I wish I could banish the suspicion that we have, we have a, a, a um, you know, more passionate league on purpose because everyone, you know, people on the continent talk about English refereeing, and by that they mean leniency. Um, it's, not know, spoiling the game. Not spoiling the game. Letting the game flow as if. Uh, a couple of broken legs helps the flow of a game. I, I think that's something that, 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 that should have got better uh, in, in the Premier League era and hasn't. I'm going to wrap this segment up. I'm going to ask each of you um, to pretend you're uh, Richard Scudamore for a day. Mm-hmm. Not just that, but that you're Scudamore for a day and you have power over the 20 clubs. Because, by the way, that's one thing people, we often forget. We think Scudamore can do what he likes. He doesn't. He has to do what his 20 masters tell him to do. Um, and come up with one thing that the Premier League could do better. Uh, you can take a second to think about it because I'll give you my suggestion first. That is, the Premier League has the oldest... Premier League fans, in terms of people who actually go to matches, are the oldest in Europe by some distance. Mm-hmm. Um, the average age is in excess of 40. And the reason for this is, is quite simple, is that it's very expensive to go. Um, and you have situations where you might see young kids with their parents, but then... You become a teenager, you become a university student, you don't necessarily want to spend your Saturday with dad, you want to go with your mates, but it's often difficult for people to wrestle together the 30, 40, sometimes more uh, pounds that it takes to get in. I would like to, I think they should address that, I think they, they should set a target for each club, withhold some TV money, and basically make them put bums on seats, hitting that target age range. Uh, Patty? Yeah, that's exactly. Well, I, in, in more or less, I, I, I agree with Gab. The first thing that I, I, I think that the Premier League should have done in, in its inception was to slice every television deal. Um, I wouldn't mind half. Um, you take half of the money, give it to the clubs, 
um, and they can distribute it to the players. Um, and you keep the other half for general purposes, which include helping uh, the rest of football, helping the rest of society. And, and the Premier League, to be fair, does spend an awful lot of money on community work. But it sh could be spending much, much more without doing itself any harm whatsoever. Um, it would help to keep wage inflation down because the, the wage inflation in the Premier League has been yet another scandal. Um, and uh, I, I just think it would be a healthier league. It would have better values if it immediately sliced the TV, every TV deal in half and used the top half, if you like, centrally for purposes that are thought out rather than just chasing inflation. Alison, can the I, you're a big fan of the Premier League. Is this, can this wonderful product possibly be improved upon in any way? Um, well, they could somehow make it compulsory that anyone who's involved has to read the laws of the game. Spoken like a true, like a true <laughs> referee. Cass? Um, there's a couple of things wrong, Paddy, but I'd probably, I would probably like to use technology, what's everybody's at their disposal. If I ask the question in 20 years' time, will technology be used in football? The answer is probably going to be, you know, yes, it's going to be there. I don't know why we're waiting. Yeah, but that's not, that's not something the Premier League can do. Something, your, your Scudamore can't do that. So but I be think fair you can put him. pressure. They can certainly put pressure on the federations. Are you put pressure on FIFA? FIFA's well, laughing at Well, why not? Americans, the Americans can't understand why we don't just do it. It's, okay. and, and, you've and, got, but you've got, if you're a Premier League, you've, you might be the first, but you can also be, you know, very radical in your thoughts about technology. Because I think football, one thing I hate, every Monday morning I come to, my, most of them are de debates are about decisions. Penalties, offsides, sending offs, whatever way you want to look at it. There's always decisions, and that's become a bit more of a talking point. And I think you, you've got to stop this, because there will become a time when people do get bored of just all these types of decisions being made that is too much on every day of the week. Monday morning is filled with what's happened at the weekend, and normally refereeing decisions. Tony, I'll come back to where you were. What I think the Premier League should be doing is stop thinking about the Chinese market, the Indian market, the global markets, and thinking about 30 years on where the clubs will be and making sure they foster a new generation of fans who are going to go through the gates and, and recognise that football clubs are more than just money-making uh, institutions. What they are, the part of our national and local heritage. Right, for our next segment, I'm going to need uh, a little bit of help. Um, regular listeners of the um, game podcast may recognize my prize, uh, Duck Whistle. We call this next segment Quick Hits. We don't like it when people are too wordy and, and talk too much. You know, we all like the sound of our own voices, and I'm probably the most guilty of that. So uh, I was wondering if I could have perhaps a, a volunteer uh, from, the, from the audience who would like to be in charge of this. Oh, yeah, you sure? Yeah. What's your name? Yeah. Matthew. Matthew, how'd you do? And, nice to meet and you, Matthew. Being a Fulham fan, you'll be very fair minded, so. <laughs> exactly. I think we're in safe hands. Do you have a watch? Yes. Fantastic. You will, you will be charged with this, and basically, I will read the it's question. Okay. It's okay, it's been washed. <laughs> I will read the question. That which doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. I will <laughs> um, read the question, and then. There will be an answer. You will start counting from the time the answer begins. And if they go over 25 seconds, just let her rip. Let him have it. 
FIFA are in the process of selling off the TV rights for the 2018 and 22 World Cups. An agency called Infront have won the tender process to sell the rights in 26 Asian markets, including China and India. Tony, I know you love all those Asian markets, but <laughs> guess what? The interesting thing is uh, Infront's chief executive is a guy called Philippe Blatter. I'm sure that name rings familiar. He is, in fact, Seth Blatter's nephew. Uh, are you happy with this? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, because obviously the Blatter family uh, are brilliant at what they do and they're, they're superb. And, you know, I think we should leave everything in his hands. Look, they got Gaddafi last week. Someone give me a golden <laughs> gun for Seth. Give me a gun. <laughs> Arsenal are answering questions from shareholders as we speak. It's their big uh, uh, meeting tonight. And uh, predictably, the board and Arsene Wenger, I I'm imagining this, I'm not actually there, but I think we can all predict that they're under fire. Uh, Patty, Gooners have actually gone on a bit of a decent run of late. Is all this sort of sky is falling, Wenger must go, he's too old, uh, business a little bit over the top, go and buy yeah. Gary Cahill, you'll solve all your problems? Uh, absolutely, I'm a, a great believer in Arsene Wenger and if Tony went to the Emirates Stadium I'd ask him to leave his gun on the door. Um, but uh, no, I think Wenger has been, uh, uh, has earned the right to almost eternal patience in the same way as uh, Ferguson has at Manchester United. I think, uh, I think it almost comes a stage where, where a man's entitled to choose. <laughs> Thank you. Eternal patience. Wow, that's a great gift to bestow on somebody. This one's easy. In eight months, England will have a new national team coach. Alison, uh, this is really simple. Who will it be? And who should it be? And why? Well, there's no danger of it being another foreigner because the FA yo-yo, so if they have a passionate manager, they go for a very serious manager. If they have a foreigner, they'll go for an Englishman. They'll go for an Englishman. And at the moment, the front runner would seem to be Harry Redknapp. Everyone's coming out the woodwork saying, he's, even though we all think he's done a very good job with Spurs, they're saying he's even better than we think. Uh, and I definitely think it should be an Englishman. I think it's embarrassing for England, the great football <laughs> nation, not to have an Englishman in charge. Who should it be means give me a name. Can you give me a name? Yeah, probably Harry Redknapp. It's almost English, not? I don't mind. You can find Ian Holloway's English, too. He would have been my choice. Anyway, I think we all agree that uh, two allegations of racial abuse on the pitch in two weeks is too, too many. Uh, Cass, do you see a bad trend here? Or is this actually the fact that there's a greater willingness of players to break the taboo and come forward? Um, no, I don't think there's a trend. I, I, I like to think it's just a coincidence in two weeks to... Um, racial incidents have happened um, and I hope and I'm pretty sure I think we moved a long way in football and rightly so we're heading the right direction and I don't think be, this will be a common theme now. Does anyone ever insult your ethnic Irishness? <laughs> um, yeah, regular. <laughs> it's a man with a vowel on the end of his name no less. Well, thank you for that and a wonderful job with the, uh, with the duck whistle used very judiciously I might add. Can we give Matthew a round of applause? Any other Fulham fans here? No? Okay. Ooh. Ooh. Like the, 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 <laughs> that's not bad. That's not bad. Sorry, it must be, must be fun being patronized every, every week in London, right? <laughs> no, after you get relegated, you can go and patronize Brentford. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our uh, second debate is one suggested by, by Patty, who I must say has got a little bit of a, of a fetish when it comes to this. Not one of that nature, but a football fetish. Yeah, this is my football fetish. Exactly. Um, 
we've seen great teams over the year. Um, we probably all have our favorites from growing up, depending how old we are. We might go very, very uh, uh, way back. Um, but, Patty, your theory is that this Barcelona team are the greatest team ever to mm. play football? Yeah, because yeah. I think football is partly, I do think that technically, and in, in terms of effectiveness, uh, arguably the best ever. But I certainly think they're my favourite ever um, because football is about beauty and about style as well as, uh, I mean, what was it, Danny, Danny Blanchflower and Bill Nicholson said about the Spurs double team footballs, not about waiting for the other lot to die of boredom, it's about doing things with a flourish and in style. And I profoundly believe that. Uh, I wouldn't want to watch football if it was a question of effectiveness only. And Barcelona are the most stylish team I've ever seen. In fact, I never thought, even while watching Rijkaard's team or Cruyff's Barcelona team, that, we were, that it would ever get to this plane. And it, it is, it's just beautiful to watch the, the lessons in so many things they do, the way they win the ball back so high up the field and so cleanly, the, 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 the very small number of fouls that they, um, they commit. There's a lesson in that. <clears throat> There's also a lesson in the way they play what we would call pointless passes. Um, you, you know, if... Uh, if, if I know so many English players have, have been caned for. I remember Carrick, as he, as he was going, growing up, was caned for playing, making too many passes. Barcelona have proved that if the passing is, is right, you can't make too many passes because while you're passing the ball, the opposition won't be able to score a goal. So there's just so much to like about them. Um, and I, I, it also, this, their unselfishness. The way they play for each other is an example. And there's one story that I particularly like about them, um, which I read in the Sunday Times, actually, in a piece by my friend Ian Hawkey. And he was, he told it, it was about when Alexander Hleb, the um, former Arsenal player, was, uh, went to join Barcelona. And uh, at his first sort of pre-season gathering, when they were introduced to the fans, all the manufacturers of expensive consumer goods gathered as they always do around footballers and the car people were there and they said you know they gave them brochures of cars and Leb said I think to Chavi uh, the club captain this is the one I'm going to get and he showed him this brochure of a £350,000 Porsche or what, Lamborghini or whatever it was which he could perfectly well afford As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. And Chavi said, well, have it, but don't bring it to training. Don't let the fans see you in that, because that's not the way we behave at this club. 
bring your punto to work because uh, that's that'll be your working car. And he, he, I mean, Leb told this story, and I think that says everything about Barcelona: the humility, the art, the oh, just everything about them. I absolutely love. And if there's another team in the history of the world that have done so much in terms of the art of the game, uh, well, then they would become my favourite team. I think Paddy makes a very, I mean, personally, you make a very compelling argument about why this is your favourite team. Um, Tony, has he made an argument about why this is the greatest team ever? Because, you know, you can love something that's actually imperfect and rubbish. And mm. They're not nice. <laughs> no, they're, they're a good side. They're a good side. But, you, you know, you, you can see flaws with them. I mean, I can think of three or four teams that could have taken them on and, you know, and maybe, maybe even beaten them. I think, for example, I think uh, Liverpool 78-79. It's, uh, a friend of mine was sitting watching Barcelona with Ray Kennedy. And he said to him, would you beat them? He said, yeah, yeah, we beat them. We don't muscle them in midfield. We don't pass them. You know, we get the ball quicker. I think Milan, I think a couple of Milan teams, certainly the one in the late, the, the late 80s, uh, would have beaten them. I think United's team of 92-93, uh, the one that broke with such pace, would have given them problems. And I'll tell you what, Tony, would, wouldn't you like to take their centre-earths on at the back post? Tag the ball the back time, post? You can't get the ball to the back in the areas to get the ball there. <laughs> oh, yeah. they, they get you before. The, the, the great team to get the ball there. The yeah. great team to get the, the ball there. I mean, the thing is, what strikes me is as good as the I love the pattern. The pattern's uh, brilliant. I, I disagree with Paddy about it. Not really disagree, but not being with the purpose. The purpose of all the pattern of Barcelona is to create space. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and space and movement all the time. And that's brilliant. But I think, I think they can be squeezed there. And I think the right midfield would squeeze them. Um, I think... We, I, I, I I think across Europe, the standards are not great, in part because of what we're talking about, the reliance on physicality in the last decade. But I think we'll see what they'll do. They'll be the standard bearers for a new age of football where we'll see passing coming to the forefront. And I'll tell you what, that, that'll make them great, if nothing else does, because the rest of the world will follow them. Mm. Alison, are you going to subscribe to Paddy's argument that this grossly overhyped team, which is only third in La Liga right now behind Real Madrid and the mighty, mighty Levante, that they're the greatest side in history? I think I kind of have to. Without having the think tank here, Danny Finkelstein, to work it out statistically for us, I think you come to this from a fairly emotional standpoint. I don't think it's right to choose the team you support. I'm a Liverpool supporter, but I was born a Liverpool supporter. I had no choice over it. I haven't chosen them because of their beauty or their artistry. I've always believed even when they were pretty rubbish, that I find something gorgeous or wonderful or worth cheering about what they did. So you have to come at it from a different point, which is, which is a team that, in my lifetime, I have moved towards, gravitated towards, and thought, wow, and that team was Barcelona. Is this Barcelona? Well, th th ah, that's the point. It's it was Barcelona, Stoichkov that's time. That's the dream team. That, but, but, what, but what leads me to agree with you, Paddy, is... What impresses me is if they, they've kept that tradition all the way through. Mm. From the moment I fell in love with them, they have always tried to play the game in a sparkling and beautiful fashion. To be fair, so do Real Madrid. And, and I mean, watching the Clásicos now, for me, is the best, best match-up in football. I mean, I, the, I watched the two legs of the Spanish Super Cup at the, at the start of the season. Well, even... I mean, we got a good community shield this year, didn't we? Um, <laughs> But, honestly, I mean, there was more entertainment at half-time in Barcelona-Real Madrid than in our, our uh, traditional season curtain-raiser. So, I mean, just 
those two teams just taking the field, for me, is the best series of football. I can't wait. December the... 10th, I think the first. And they've improved, Pat, haven't they, Real Madrid? They, 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 I was just, I sorry, I was just going to make that point. A lot well. It's no, not just in the standard, but they, 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 they're playing beautiful football. I mean, Real Madrid are, are of a tradition just as much as Barcelona's of playing beautiful football. And, I mean, this, this season, they're, they're going to be the two best teams in the world. Well, you're, no you're also talking... Mm. We want to go on another digression. We are talking about the two teams that have the highest turnover in the world. Mm. They have the, among the highest wages in the world. They have the biggest TV contracts in the world. Uh, Cass, that doesn't mean that Barcelona aren't the best side in the world, but, um, I mean, over this three-year period, is, is this, you, you would place it ahead of them? You said no, nobody could get the ball. Not even Stevie Highway could get you the ball at the far post? <laughs> well... A couple of Saturdays, three Saturdays ago, I was coming home with my girlfriend, and I said, "We're going home to watch Barcelona on a Saturday night." Why are you, you know, Premiership? And uh, no, I'm watching Barcelona because I've never seen football played at a level, at a tempo. If I was to say to you, "Would you line a team up without a centre forward?" and they have, and win games in the manner they win the game, they've just—it's like they've changed the game so much for me, and. Not only have they got the best team, the best player that I've ever seen is Metsy, that is just unbelievably gifted. Never misses games, doesn't roll around when he's getting injured or getting kicked. To, that and, way, I'd be careful well, of bringing the moral equation into it. The mo- the he did score a goal is, with his hand, among other things. And, well, and if you talk to Jose Mourinho, I, he would say that, yeah, well, Jose, that Messi Jose is obviously very as, envious because he knows that that is... You wouldn't talk to Jose Mourinho if you wanted any sense, though, would you? But he knows. Returning on the special one. Know. He knows that the team. I've, I've never seen football played to the level that Barcelona have produced in the last few years, and I only. I even think they are. They're better than they were last year. I think they're improving side. Mm. Their age of their team is is fantastically poised to yeah. go on yeah. and be better this season than they were last year. Uh, Wayne Rooney made a comment about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and said, "We're closer to to Barcelona as a team." And I nearly choked, because I, I don't know what football he's looking at, but if you said to me, defensively, that is probably the Achilles heel of Barcelona. You think, but you can't ever get there. No. That's your problem. You can't get to hurting them. Their goalkeeper's nearly redundant most of the games. So I look at them and think, if Man U played them tomorrow, and I know it's off the back of the Man, the Man City game, but if it hadn't have happened, if you said Man United Barcelona tomorrow, I would say they would win more convincingly today than they would have in the Champions League final last year because they were a better team than last year. Oh, without a doubt, Man U are not very good, and they weren't that good then. You know, let, no. let's be honest. You know, they've had weaknesses in the midfield, defensive midfield player for three, four years. But you know, I mean, the, the problem is. Nostalgia plays a big part, Tony, yeah. because we're always going to look book and go back and go Liverpool, AC Milan. I remember an incredible Marseille team mm. that I watched. Uh, mm. You know, when I first joined the club and I had yeah. videos, and I thought, what a side they were, AC Milan. Well, your Marseille side it helped that they were cheating and buying off opponents. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, but I mean, don't get me wrong. Barcelona, <laughs> Barcelona, a great side, but it, isn't this? the type of, and we're talking about the Premier League and television, the type of thing that we've always fall into. We overhype people when we're watching them now. And mm. they're, they're great, but they do have weaknesses. That back four aren't great. You know, if, if, if you can get those centre What part of the back four do you think is not great? Because the two fullbacks are, are pretty... If you like your fullbacks, you go, yeah, go right so, down the line. So we say the fullbacks are so okay, Tom. Yeah, what about the centre-halves? Okay. The centre-halves, I don't think the centre-halves are very good at all. Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> I don't think they're very good at all. 
They've got the best centre-half in the world. PK. PK, he's not the best centre-half in the world. I think Puyol's Puyol's the most overrated player. I know he's a Catalan icon. Man of the match, playing out of position in the... He's a centre-half who's caught constantly on his heels. You know, well, uh, you can't understand. How do they ever win a game if, if they're that bad? But they've got a brilliant midfield. They're not bad. But what I'm saying is they're not great. I mean, you've talked to as many coaches as I have. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, they can see flaws in them everywhere. And the yes. thing is, right, at the moment, they're, they're still good enough to beat everyone. But people will be working on beating them and getting players yeah, together. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me by the end of the year. Jose gets there. They're a great team, but to say that the greatest ever, I think, I is think, overselling. I think, I think I, and I do, I do believe that they that they may eventually be consumed by vanity. I mean, this season, although it's 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 fascinating to watch the things that Guardiola is doing, not just playing with two wide strikers and no centre forward, uh, um, but playing without a back four. I mean, he's obviously been listening to Tony and he thinks his back four is dodgy. So he plays without a back four. It's he plays with three midfield players, sometimes across the back. And uh, Mascaran, I can't remember who, the, who they were, but three midfield players, that's his defence. And eventually, you, I must admit, as a lover of Guardiola's Barcelona, I wonder if this, if, if vanity is eventually going to bring Ferguson them down. If Ferguson wouldn't have got it so badly wrong at Wembley, then United would have a chance. You know, you know when, you when, when I had the team announced, Javier Mascherano, centre-earth, I went to the pub and I said, give me the strongest beer you've got. And it was 11%. I said, give me a pint of it. And I drank it and won. And he said to me, why have you done that? I said, because United are going to win the European Cup and I want to be drunk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, you the beatable. You just, the you beatable, just described the why they're a great team. All those flaws. No height. Well, playing people out of position. Yeah. Being radical, being different, it, it, and they win, yeah, and they win, yeah. and they win, and they work but, very but hard. I'd say and, and if there was team, another great team round, the other great team would take advantage of them. And the yeah. only time this will end for this team is like all great teams, like the Arsenal great side under Wenger, will be you just can't get the same quality player mm. again. Mm. And that's the only take the way well, the team Maybe the difference, could, though, is that Barso- unlike the Arsenal side, uh, Barcelona aren't going to be in a position where they have to sell their best players every couple of years. No, they're, they're not, but... Gab, it's still hard getting the greatest players. You, they have got a ma- fantastic advantage today, but if you start to go for a period, if Real Madrid become more dominant, they will get the best players again. They will then, and they have the, the Galactico image of going to South America, taking the greatest players, because they will always choose the Spanish mm. League over the Premiership mm. for lots of reasons, but the main reason is because they all brought up with Spanish football. Yeah. Well, I think this is, is that the main reason? More well, they you... love it like we would love the, the Premiership. I grew mm-hmm. up, you know. Mm-hmm. That's okay because all those great players in Asia then, right? <laughs> they, but, sorry, okay, we, we are during the end here. Tony, I want to give you the last word. Mm. Well, I think this is a debate we should have when they've won the European Cup three times in a row or maybe even twice in a row. But until then, I'm like, the jury's out. For me personally, I'll... I'll still give my vote to uh, uh, Arrigo Saki's AC Milan side on a, in a one-off game. Um, that was a side, of course, with, uh, with Hollet, Donadoni, Varese, Maldini. Um, that Marco Van Basten, of course, was pretty useful as well. Uh, quick run-through, uh, your greatest club side ever in a one-off game, Paddy? I think seriously right. about uh, the Milan of the 1993 Champions League final. 93-94, Capello's Milan. Capello's Milan the one against Barcelona. Barcelona, against the Dream Team, beat them 4-0. Alison? This is an odd one. Okay, well... It's, it's very strange okay, asking okay, what the okay, greatest okay. team ever any, is. Any, any team what a bizarre with, question. Any team, any team with Yari Lippmann and pulling the strings could do it. <laughs> so, so Fulham. 
He never actually yeah. played for Fulham. Yes. Oh, but was, that, was that a Roy Hodgson signing, by the way? I'm just checking there. I've never read Yes, it was. Well, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Cass. So it's so. the team that would beat Barcelona in the one-off. What is the really best team play. ever? Barcelona. Okay. This Barcelona. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say Liverpool 78-79. There you go. We're going to move on to... Uh, how about uh, some questions and answers? Now, uh, Neil Harrington will be going first. Right. Uh, the question is, um, we're seeing the, the great emerging side. Have they finally emerged? And I'm talking about Manchester City, whose current form is quite phenomenal. But my question is, with the prospect of egos, tears and tantrums, are we going to see them being strong enough to last the pace and be crowned Premier League champions next May? Who wants that? Paddy. Yeah, I think so. I tipped him at the start of the season and I'm not going to change my mind after what we've seen so far. I think that the decision to estrange Tevez was fundamental. Um, he took Manchester City up a little level, but he's not in the same, quite in the same class as Aguero, the guy who's been signed... But above all, it's uh, basically his disruptive influence within the squad. Since he's been marginalised, they've just gone through the roof. And uh, I think that will carry on if they can just... I hope they can get rid of him, uh, find a way of getting rid of him, uh, either legally or by the normal football <laughs> means. That doesn't mean... But they're in a terrible problem here because they they could suffer very badly in the financial fair play over the, over the three-year period if they just wrote him off, which they must be sorely tempted to do. So I hope they can find a way of getting rid uh, of him. And, I mean, they're the be- as we saw, as we've seen several times this season, they're the best team in the country. Best from 1 to 11, no question about it. There's a hunger in their, yep. their, their, their side. Determination, technical ability. I mean, Mika Richards' fitness was so much better than it was 18 months ago and I think across the board the team look a team that want to win things um, with that and an amazing amount of talent as well so yeah they will be the ones to beat I think with the amount of talent they had last year they should have won the league by 10 points I think Mancini was too defensive I think yeah. he's let, the, let them off the reins this year and it's worked and the, the most important thing getting the ball to David Silva who makes the difference. Last year, Tevez hung on to the ball too long. Yeah. Johnson hung on to the ball too long. They didn't get to silver in the areas that hurt them. What I do worry for them is whether Mancini's instinctive caution will come into it when push comes to shove. And I think a worry for City fans must be the way, after dominating the early, you know, sort of the middle section of the first half in Munich, they, they conceded those goals. I don't think they're the finished object yet, but I, they should win the league. If not, Mancini should be hung drawn quarters. <laughs> I'm expected to stick up for Mancini. I just would like to remind Tony that he didn't have a centre forward for the first six months of the season because Adebayor screws had all fallen out and when Njeko came, he was clearly not ready. Well, that's what managers are supposed to do. They're supposed to put the screws back in but the and they're supposed to get people ready. That's, head, what yes. that's why you have a manager. Otherwise, you wouldn't have one, would you? Fair point. <laughs> uh, we've got, up next, we've got Clive. Clive, who is a Wolves supporter. No, there you go. Skinner spreading lies again. You may be familiar with Skinner from the Bugle podcast, and I can just say it's all true about it. Uh, I was just, uh, my question was um, do you think that Mick McCarthy does deserve the abuse that he's getting at the moment, um, considering where he's taken Wolves from before? Um, 
don't know, what do you guys think? Absolutely yeah. not. No. no Nick's I... gorgeous. He's a lovely, lovely <laughs> man. I like, I honestly, if you, I don't do rules that often, but if, if you get uh, a chance to chat to Mick McCarthy after a match, it's, it's a privilege, it really is. He's, he's manages to be sort of aggressive, self-deprecating, witty and intelligent all in one go. And I think um, every time I have seen rules, whether it's on the telly or live, they might have lost, but I really love the way they play. And he sticks to his principles. They are an attractive team. And I always sensed in the game against Swansea at the weekend, when he did get the stick, I, I, I really sensed he'd pull it off. And I, he didn't pull it off, but he got the draw, which seemed unlikely. And I think, I, think, I think he's a great manager, and they're lucky to have him. And I don't know who they think they'd get if they pushed him out. Are you, are you, uh, uh, wait. Tony knows Mick McCarthy better than I do. just want to point out that, not to sort of you know, tell you Santa Claus isn't real, but, or Father Christmas, as you might say, um, but you know, he has spent a tremendous amount of Steve Morgan's money, money which Steve Morgan could have spent on Liverpool Football Club. You are aware of that, yes. If, been <laughs> if he had the brains. Uh, Cass, you know Mick better than I do. Do you want yeah. to stick up for your buddy? Well, I played with Mick. I played under Mick as a manager. Um, Would you have him managed your favourite team? Mick? Um, <laughs> He's a certainly a no-nonsense type of man, as we all know, and Alison would know by just the way she described Mick. Mick is a really decent guy, and he wears his heart on his sleeve. I mean, there was a time I remember him, he was so a man... So you, sorry, you guys are describing what a great person he is. But he's also... No, about, he's, he's, he's taken Wolves. He's taken Wolves to a level with funding that is... They're, decent, they're a decent side. They're not bad, and they progressed. I think what, what the problem he's got is that when you have 60 feet and you've got an owner that's making the stadium bigger, and if he starts thinking defeats relegation, he's then gonna start thinking, we can't go down. We cannot go down. And I think that's Mick's, prob Mick's biggest problem. Plus, I didn't like it that Mick responded to the fans. I thought he was, that's the one thing you can't do. It's because they've got three really tough games coming up. They're playing three leading sides, and if they do, which they probably will do, is have three poor results, then fans will come back at you. If you start describing them as idiots, then you're yeah. acting like a fan. Yeah. The moment you act like a fan as a manager, and like Tony touched on, you're a leader, you're, you're meant to be giving, feeding your fans information that makes them feel better. Yeah. If, you don't, if you do the reverse, have a go at them, they'll come back for you. There are other people who have made Mick, Mar uh, Mick McCarthy a uh, multi-millionaire, uh, after all, fans. Yeah. And he might want to remember that. I mean, that, you know, the thing is, as you say, they've spent a lot of money. And let's get into perspective. You know, Wolves are not Crawley Town. You know, one of the things that we've seen in the Premiership years is managers playing down expectations. Oh, if we finish 17th, everyone should be happy. Well, you know what? That's not what football's about. Mm. The purpose of football clubs is to win trophies. Mm. Bill Shankly said, and it's true, and it remains true. Mick McCarthy has sold Wolves fans. You know, the bare minimum will be good enough. Well, it's not good enough. You're going to get criticism. Quit whinging, start winning. Yeah, but you, I, I just think it's ridiculous. With, with Mick McCarthy, if, if you're manage, a manager, and, and McCarthy has taken Wolves and, and improved that club, uh, but if you're a manager in the Premier League, the worst manager in the English Premier League would not be there unless he was a good manager. And to have... Steve Keane, thanks you and for to, vote of support. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a facile thing to say, but Steve Keane is, is an extremely good coach. Now, it, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doubting that, but there are 92 league clubs. There's many more managers than there are clubs. And every time yeah, we come out with this... Paddy, Paddy, feel when sorry you say for extremely good coach, what do you, what do you mean? 
What, coaching on the training ground or winning football matches? Well, as, as I understand well, it, he, he was at Fulham and he did well. He, uh, he, he was highly respected there. I mean, it, he would not He's be... won four games, I think, isn't he? Four games in well, he, he beat 13. Arsenal. I mean, does that mean that Arsene Wenger's useless? No. The point is that they're all good. They wouldn't be there. And the point is, because of that, uh, because of that, to have people chanting for, uh, at Mick McCarthy, you don't know what you're doing, when they, you know, they're not even really, I don't think they've any right to abuse him in that way. By all means, disagree chant for the player you want that's your right you pay for that but to to speak in that disrespectful and um destructive way uh about the club's manager it's only going to harm yourself but more more than more than anything it's impolite and i i just feel that interactivity when it gets to that stage has gone too far well, we're going to do some more interactivity here with uh, some more questions. Oh, this is Jamie... different. These are not idiots. because <laughs> nobody's abused you yet. Uh, Jamie Simons uh, is, uh, is up next. Given today's defeat for Ch- the Chelsea board at the um, pitch owners meeting, what do you think the future is for Chelsea regards to stadium and also if, which may happen one day, post Abramovich? Thank you used to work for Chelsea. Both of you used to work for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Yep. So will Alison have a go? <laughs> All they need to do is, is, is have a conditional sale. So people who own shares uh, and, and won't sell them at the moment, they, they, uh, they, they're given a good price, first of all, because this is, you know, Chelsea can afford it. Give the, make, allow them to make a profit and then say the sale is conditional on Stamford Bridge Chelsea moving away from Stamford only by a certain degree, so that so that mm. if Chelsea, because uh, the, the only reason the CPO have said no is they don't trust they don't trust Chelsea completely that they're not going to buy some stadium that's miles and miles and miles away from West mm. London. But if, you say, if you say if you say these these shares are sold on the basis that it's a legal document on the basis that the stadium will only be within this this parameter. Then, then everyone will be happy and he'll go through and there'll be a new uh, cl- uh, stadium for Chelsea and it'll be two and a half miles away from where Stamford Bridge is now. I think that's, that's the problem because, I mean, Chelsea have done it in a typically high-handed way, typical of football clubs. That if they would have set out a timeline and, and, and give all the information to the Chelsea pitch holders, you know, where they were going to go, how they were going to do it, how this was all going to... Uh, how it was all going to pan out, I think they would have taken that, and they would have taken £100 a share, because I don't think money's an issue for, for these people. But you know what? Where it is, it's like Chelsea are saying, trust us. <laughs> and you know what? The one thing we've learned, never trust a football club. Uh, we got Steve Pauly next. Steve, here in the front row. Yeah, I'm man out of a Chelsea, though. I'm just not so sure they need a bigger stadium. No, I'm not so sure either. Steve. Um, with the fixture list getting more and more congested, and uh, over the last couple of years... Um, even championship sides are now resting players in the League Cup. Is it time to say goodbye to the League Cup, maybe give some gravitas back to the FA Cup and uh, move forward a little bit, make well, a bit of space? I'll give you my answer first because I, I feel very strong about this. Yes, they should eliminate the League Cup immediately and they should cut the Premier League from 20 teams to 18 teams because less is more and get rid of midweek football, or midweek league football anyway, in, in the top flight. And I think that would also give more exposure to the lower leagues. But that's my answer. Anybody else? Well, it's very strong? hard watching. Uh, we all watch Carling Cup this week, and you're seeing fourth round games and half empty stadiums and half second teams. 
So I don't really see, unless you're a real die-hard fan of that particular club, and even the die-hard fans are not going to the games. How, how, did, yeah. how did we come to this? How did we come to this? How did they convince us that trophies not important? Yes. Well, I, I, am I the only one taking crazy pills? You guys yeah. always felt that way. Sorry, did, did you travel to, did, did, when, when Liverpool won the European Cup and they played in the World Club Championship in, in Japan, didn't Liverpool not travel? And then when they did travel, they all got drunk the night before and got played off the park? Isn't that what happened? Yeah, and so if I was about the money, I would have gone. But, you know, I mean, that, that was kind of a charity shield over there. It's That's a trophy. A, it's, it's not a trophy. It's like call a charity a shield a trophy. It's more of a trophy. A, a competition where, a knockout competition. It, no. the, the League Cup is an important competition. I think we should cherish it. And I don't think we should try and give I it think, a boost. I think, you know, you, you only need to look back to the last League Cup final and, and the impact that losing it had on Arsenal to realise that in the final analysis, it does become important. I think the League Cup, uh, the Carling Cup, can, as it's now called, can be... I don't know, it's, it's hard to argue when you see the empty. But one of my, some... I mean, I've had great experiences watching the Carling Cup. I used to make a habit of going to watch uh, Arsenal when they would get 60,000 crowds and not 60,000 seats, but 60,000 actual people to watch their kids, the Vellas and, and so on, coming through. And, I mean, I saw some wonderful performances and some wonderful occasions. And those people were paying a fiver. And there were children there, mm. and that would be the only match they would see all season. And if all the clubs were a little bit more enlightened in their pricing yeah. policy for the Carling, the Carling Cup could, could still be a, a, a great competition. And, but I agree, the main reason I support it is that I think we need more trophies. Because we have a breed of people, uh, you know, we as a, as, as a human race, we, we want results, we're desperate for results. The more trophies you have, the better. And I think I, I wouldn't get rid of the Carling Cup at all for that reason. We have uh, Jason up next, who I think is going to talk to us about uh, Stadia. And Patty, I might add, Patty continually made reference to the Carling Cup, mentioning the sponsor, which is, uh, of course, a well-known brewer. I might add, nobody up here has uh, mentioned the Barclays Premier League tonight. So unless we're going to start calling it the Barclays Premier League for the rest of the evening, I advise you not to call it the Carling Cup. In fact, don't even, let's not even talk about this. It's too cup. late, the crate's on the way. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Anything for a buck. Mm. Mouthwash. Jason. Um, given its success in Germany, is it time to reintroduce safe standing zones to top flight stadia in the United Kingdom? I think it's time certainly to talk about it. One of the problems is safe standing in terms of the designs that would work in Germany couldn't be introduced into any of the stadiums that exist. So it would only be for new stadiums. Um, I think what one of the important things is get to the fundamental myth of all-seater stadiums that stand and kill people at Hillsborough. It didn't. And a lot, of, a lot of what's happened in the Premier League since then has been based on that myth. In many ways, I think standing is safer, certainly in the German model, than people who stand in seats where you've got a two-foot tripwire in front of you. So I think yes, but the problem is it can only be in new-build stadiums, and I don't think um, I don't think we'll see too many of them in the next few years. Steve Savile is up next, but Tony, on that point, I want to uh, throw a question to you about mm. that: is if it's a myth that uh, all-seater stadia are safer, um, in whose interest has it been to to perpetuate that myth? 
Well, in, obviously, in the, uh, the the interests of the clubs and uh, what it allows you to put prices, it allows you, if you want, to keep the riffraff out. And um, well, You can have more riffraff in and charge more money and make more money. No? Well, the riffraff haven't got the money. You know, so, which, which actually is, is a, a negative for the game because you see lots of people around Anfield, they all sit in the pubs and watch the match on illegal streams on the telly. Um, you know, but it, I mean, the, the, this is part of the thinking. But I mean, the, the fact is, what it did is it allowed you to gentrify the game and, and in theory, get a lot of people through the doors who've got more money to spend in your mega store and everything will be smiley, happy, clappy. There you go. History of the Premier League. Steve. Hi. Um, in this time of foreign owners pouring obscene amounts of money into their hobby clubs and also um, England's frankly standard performance at the moment. Do you think we're coming towards a time of rugby union style salary caps and caps on international players in a, a match day squad and if so do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing for club and country? The reason why salary caps for me is that when I started playing football, there were certain ways of being paid. One was by your salary, then you had the offers of cars and houses. And If you want a player and you're desperate to get a particular player, you will give him something, an incentive. And fat salary caps, I just don't see happening because they can afford to pay. The reason players get the money they do is because... So I talk about the premiership, not League One, League Two. Premiership teams can afford to pay that wages. Now, there's the argument of Portsmouth, which were a Premier League not so long ago. But that was in such an excessive level, like Leeds United, way beyond what, you know, the, the levels of what the big clubs... Man United can pay players 200 grand a week. They can, because they have merchandising sponsors, gate receipts, television. That, they are getting paid the wages that is affordable for that football club. And, you know, one of the things I think has been positive about the Premier League is that it's switched the balance of where the money's gone. I'd rather see 250 grand a week go to Tevez than back in the early 80s, the likes of, uh, or, 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 the, um, or even the 90s, uh, the likes of Doug Ellis and Ken Bates taking money about the game. Louis I mean, Edwards? Louis Another Edwards. one of your favourites? Yeah, well, you know, I'd rather see the people who are on the pitch being paid. And anyway, the bottom line is you could drive a truck through any salary cap legislation in the European courts. The reason salary cap works in the States is because their law developed in a completely different way and there's implied... And they pay them in other ways as well. There are players, too. a certain number of players, who get more than the salary cap. Mm. So... Well, the varies from sport to sport, but the key yeah. thing, as Tony said, in the United States, there's a there's an antitrust exemption, implied antitrust for, exemption, which, yeah. which allows them to go and the, do things which mm, wouldn't be viable. There, there is That's actually what, a salary cap. It, it's called financial fair play, and uh, that will be an effective salary cap if it's properly policed. We're, we're going to take one more question now, and then we got uh, James Cattrall uh, uh, asking a question. James, uh, I'm a Manchester United fan, and. I was wondering which three players could Sir Alex Ferguson buy to possibly stop Manchester City running away with the league for the next decade. David Silva. <laughs> Non-Manchester City players or Barcelona, actually. Well, uh, for Manchester United, they should, have, uh, they should have bought a playmaker in the summer when they looked at Snyder's wages and thought, hey, that's the kind of wages Wayne Rooney gets. Uh, so that we won't buy, we won't buy him, regardless of the fact that uh, Snyder played in the World Cup final and really, um, didn't maybe have... maybe Mark Schwarzer. Hmm. Let's bring it back to Fulham because I think there's been a Fulham thread through the evening. 
I think, should end on a I don't think Hangeland would do them any harm. Yeah. I don't think Hangeland would do Arsenal any harm. But uh, no, definitely the, the, a, a playmaker and a holding midfield player. And a keeper, do you agree? I, I'm not convinced of that yet. I think Lindegaard's a tremendous keeper. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the fundamental question is not in, in the sense of which players could buy. I think what they've lacked is uh, a, a central midfielder who is comfortable taking the ball off his own centre-earths and turning him with it. Because now, Everett's the outlet ball. You squeeze Everett and the ump it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it comes back at them. We've seen more shots at United this year than other years. But this has been rumbling on. So, I mean, I don't think they need to find a superstar. You just need to find someone who can go take, turn, distribute. And it shouldn't be that hard. Well, that's why I'm sitting here and they're running football books. <laughs> Okay, so please, uh, I invite you to join me to give a big round of applause to our guests tonight. It's Patty Barkley, it's Alison Rudd, it's Tony Cascarino, it's Tony Evans. There was no need to hold your applause, but since you've done that, let it rip. Thank you. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Game Podcast. Till next time. Take care. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.